Chapter Six of Janet of the Dunes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Janet of the Dunes by Harriet T. Comstock. Chapter Six. Janet, used as she was to the keen, sweet air of the hills, stood after securing her boat and drew in deep breaths of the fragrant morning. She had taken off her shoes and stockings for the dew lay heavy upon the ground, and these, wrapped in a fish-net, were flung across her shoulder. There was a good half-mile to tread before the little hut could be reached bodily, but the whistle's call, going on before, would open the gates of paradise if Thornley were there. The girl did not put her doubt to the test just yet. There was bliss in dallying with the joy, the bliss of youth, innocence, and unalloyed faith. Thornley might have stayed, as he generally did, at his own boarding-house or at Bluff Head. Janet had learned of his intimacy there, although she had never imagined Mr. Devant's ingenuity in trying to keep them, at first, apart. If Thornley were away from the shanty, Janet knew the hiding-place for the key. She could enter at will, and the secrets of the treasure-house were not hidden from her. "'Lock the door after you, whether you are in or out,' was Thornley's command. "'No one must know until the very last.' And the girl would have cheerfully defended the place with her life. Over sandy hillocks she went gleefully. The artist in her was throbbing wildly. She had a new inspiration for Thornley's brush. She led his fancy in riotous joy. Where his genius grew slack, Hers urged him to renewed effort. The morning came up ruddily from the sea. It came with a south wind playfulness, which tossed the girl's glistening hair with free touch and kissed the glowing face into richer beauty. Presently the little secluded hut came into view. The very next hollow held it. Janet stood upon the last hill, drew out her whistle, and with smiling lips, that with difficulty formed themselves to the task, sent forth her call. The musical note penetrated the stillness. A bird rose affrightedly from a nearby bush, but it and the waiting girl seemed to have the hills to themselves. "'So much the better,' murmured Janet, sparkling with excitement. "'It will be all the more surprising.' She ran rapidly forward, secured the key and opened the door. Then she obediently locked it again and stood within the room, gazing tenderly at every beloved object. It was just as Thornley had left it. He had waited all day for the girl. He had wanted her to pose in the open, but she had failed him, and he had evidently devoted himself to the picture he was painting, as he had told her, for his own private use. "'My Pimpernel,' he called it, and rough as the work was at that stage, it was full of beauty and promise. It was Janet, little more than sketched, to be sure, but a startling likeness, and the wreath of pimpernel flowers on the glorious sun-touched hair had evidently been the artist's last work. The throne-like space with the cushions and low divan upon which the girl posed was in full view, with Thornley's jacket and pipe lying carelessly upon it. The curtain, which always hung over the picture for Mr. Mason, was drawn aside. 
Apparently the man had had less reason to hide that from any chance visitor. Janet walked over to the table and raised the cover of the chafing dish. "'He ate at the boarding house,' she whispered. "'Else I'd have to wash this. He's scandalously untidy.' She picked up a glass and sniffed. "'Wine!' she announced. "'Wine for a party! And cracker crumbs! Company! I wonder who! One, two, three, four wine glasses! Bluff headers!' Then the smile trembled before the memory of Mr. Devant's proud, haughty sister and the young lady unlike anyone the dune-bred girl had ever seen before. Not even the most gorgeous boarder in the least resembled her. She was so icily cold, so calmly beautiful, so exquisitely dressed in white, white always, with a dash of gold to match her smooth, shining hair. No power could draw Janet to Bluff Head after the one visit during which the two ladies had frankly and condescendingly taken stock of her, evidently in consequence of remarks made by the master of the house. For the first time in her life, Janet had felt the resentment of being looked down upon. Had she a particle of malice or suspicion in her nature, the resentment might have rankled and grown into hate, for the girl had all the pride and independence of the place. As it was, she had withdrawn into herself, like the flower to which she had been likened, and had vanished from sight. "'I won't wash the glasses!' The laugh rang merrily like the laugh of a child. "'Let her wash her own glass, and soil her pretty frock!' But this declaration of independence did not prohibit a general tidying in other respects. The north window shade was rolled up and the sash raised, the easel drawn out into place before the low stool, and the jacket and pipe arranged conveniently at hand for the master when he should appear. "'And now,' rippled the girl, "'I'll give him a surprise and a shock.' First she went outside, relocked the door and hid the key, then nimbly entered the hut by the north window. Once inside again, she closed the window and, trembling with excitement and hurry, ran to the posing platform and flung herself among the cushions. Then she spread her hair loosely over the sea-green pillows that rose around her. The net was caught up and draped about the slim, graceful body. Eyes and small brown feet showed between the meshes. The conceit was deliciously bewildering. When all was arranged, she cautiously let fall the shielding curtain and waited. "'He'll come early,' she whispered. "'Oh, very early. And I wonder what he will call this picture.' The night's patrol and the mastering of Billy had tired the girl. The couch was sleep-enticing, the pillows dream-bringing, and the day was yet young. So Janet slept, a vision to touch any heart, one to stir an artist to holy rapture. How long she slept Janet never knew, but the grating of the key in the lock awakened her. Her heart beat wildly, and the blood ran riotously in her veins. The door opened, someone spoke, and then, as if before a north blast, 
All the glow and glory of Janet's joy froze within her. "'Wasn't I clever to watch where he hid the key, Mr. Devant? And how utterly good of you to enter the conspiracy and help me find him out. I know he has an immortal picture somewhere here. He wants to spring it upon you and me, along with the herd, by and by. But we wish to be partakers in the pleasure of preparation, do we not, Mr. Devant?' The musical voice had a ring in it not altogether lovely. "'Stand aside, Mr. Devant. See, he must have brought his work out after we left yesterday. It was orderly enough then, but look at it now. Let us examine this upon the easel. But first, open the door. I smell stale wine. The untidy fellow has not washed the glasses.' Mr. Devant opened the door and said with a half-laugh, "'I'm not quite sure how Dick will like this, Catherine, but while the cat's away—' "'Ah!' the word came sharply. "'Mr. Devant, look here!' The two were standing before the easel. "'Good Lord!' cried the man. "'The Pimpernel! Catherine, this Dick of ours has prepared a surprise for us, sure enough.' "'He evidently had reasons for holding us at bay, Mr. Devant.' A thinly-veiled sneer was in the low, even voice. "'He has been using that wild, odd young creature of yours as a model. "'And he has never told you? "'I greatly fear our sly dick has been, well, deceitful.' "'Oh, my dear girl,' Devant reassured her, "'you do not understand.' Dick has probably had to procure such a model upon terms of secrecy, not on his own account, but hers. You do not know these people. They are not above taking money, but they make their own terms. Terms? Again, the scornful tone. Yes, my dear. Why, what do you think would happen if I called my cook Eliza instead of Mrs. Smith? Starvation, my dear. "'Actual starvation. "'And I carry my own laundry to Mrs. Abner Snow's, "'carry it and fetch it. "'This girl now might be willing to pose, "'and you must admit that she is a raving beauty. "'But she would hold Dick to a cast-iron vow "'never to let anyone know. "'What's more, I can take my oath, "'knowing these people as I do,' that the girl never sets her foot in Dick's shop without a bodyguard of at least one captain, perhaps three or four. Let us see if he has any more secrets. There was relaxation in the clear voice. Let us hurry. Dick may be here at any moment, and I do so want to get ahead of him, just to punish him for his underhand methods. Janet heard the two turn. She knew they were coming directly to the platform. "'Once,' the slow, fine voice had regained its smoothness, "'once in New York I dropped in at Dick's studio when he did not expect me. I wanted him to take me out to luncheon, and I had the oddest experience. "'Oh, Mr. Devant, look at that bit, pinned to the wall. That is really exquisite. Well, as I was saying, I stole in upon Dick. I called from the outer room that it was I. I wished afterward that I had not. 
and then I ran into the studio. As quick as a flash, Dick dropped a curtain, just like this, between me and his easel. I was determined to see what he had been painting, but he positively forbade it. He said it was a painter's prerogative to warn, even. Love from that holy of holies. I often wonder what was behind the curtain. I realized from that moment that if you want to see a great artist's best work, you must override his modesty and secretiveness and tear the screen from his altar. With a light laugh, the girl now drew aside the sheltering curtain with playful, dramatic force and lay bare the secret that it hid. Janet did not move. Her great, startled eyes, dark, intense, and passion-filled, stared helplessly at the two who, transfixed, returned the stare in frozen silence. So rigid and death-like the model lay in the meshes of the net, so beautiful and graceful in her motionless pose, that for an instant the intruders could not trust their senses. Then the woman found voice and action. "'I fear,' she said slowly, coldly, and distantly, "'I fear we really have intruded where we have no right, Mr. Devant.' Then she laughed a rich, rippling laugh. "'And the captains! Where are the captains, my dear Mr. Devant? They seem to have omitted the captains today. Pray, let us go at once. I would not interfere with Dick's future fame for all the world. I can quite understand why artists hide their best work at times.' Without a word, Mr. Devant dropped the curtain. Janet heard them go out, heard them lock the door, and realized that they hid the key. She tried to get up, but the intention was only mental and died without an effort. A physical sickness and bodily weakness held her. To lie still was the only course possible, but the thoughts rushed madly through the awakened mind. In that hour, womanly instinct was born, the instinct that armed itself against suspicion and another's contempt. Shame, for what was not real but suggested by a coarser mind, hurt and blinded her. The child in Janet had been killed by that white, cold woman, and what arose was more terrible than the slayer could have imagined, for this new creature scorned the innocence and weakness of that lately crushed childhood. It held in contempt the poor, vain, cheap thing that had offered, actually offered, itself to a being that came from a world that knew and had power to despise. Wave after wave of torment engulfed the poor girl as she lay without a struggle in her net. The apple of understanding had been forced between her lips by the refined cruelty of another woman. Instinctively, Janet found a sort of dumb comfort in the memory of the look she recalled in Mr. Devant's eyes, but while life lasted, her soul would shrivel at the memory of the glance which that proud, beautiful girl had cast upon her. The lovely face upon the sea-green pillows paled and flushed as the flood of growing knowledge gathered force. The eyes grew dark and terror-racked, and misery claimed the newborn woman. Then again the key grated in the lock. 
Strengthened by the perception that was now hers, the girl sprang to a sitting posture and drew her feet beneath the shelter of the coarse red skirt. The net ensnared her further, and so she sat, caught fast in the meshes and in the terror of her condition. Thornley entered the room, closed and locked the door. Then he opened the windows wide. His eye and ear would warn him of intruders, and the breath of the summer day he must have. Janet heard him stop before the easel. Then his laugh, contented and youth-filled, rang clearly in the little room. "'Beauty!' he muttered. "'Great heaven, what almost weird beauty! "'My Pimpernel, you'll make me famous!' Then he whistled gaily, hung up his coat and hat, did not the listening girl know every movement, drew on the old paint-besmirched jacket, and filled his pipe. "'Dirty wine-glasses,' he muttered. "'Bah! How the stale wine befouls this air! Outside you go to await your purification!' The glasses were set jinglingly upon the window-ledge. Then Thornley came to the curtain and flung it heedlessly back. "'Good Lord!' he ejaculated and staggered away. The panic-stricken face that met his paralyzed him for the moment. Then he laughed. "'Pimpernel!' he drew nearer. "'Dear child, you are as full of surprises as this glorious day and the hills. You've brought me a new sensation, a heaven-sent inspiration. What a partner you are! God bless you!' "'Don't you touch me!' Janet warned off the extended hands. Her arms were free, and they must serve her now. "'Janet, what ails you, child?' "'I do not know. I cannot think. Only I know you must not touch me. And—and and I'm not a child any more.' Then tears came, a wild, remorseful flood. The girl swayed upon the couch, torn by the emotions that lashed her cruelly. Thornley stood apart. Something undefinable held him to his place. He recalled the first day he had met this strange girl upon the hills, and her tears then. But these were different. In a subtle, unspeakable way, he realized that something startling had brought about this changed condition from yesterday's Eden-like life. "'I wish you could tell me what is the matter,' he said pityingly and quietly. He did not move toward her, but his tone, with its sympathetic reserve, did the one thing he longed to do. It drew the girl's trust and confidence. The storm of sobs lessened. The hidden face was raised, and the burden of fear and distress lifted slowly. "'They have been here,' the words came upon the crest of the last sob. "'They who?' Thornley's eyes contracted. "'Mr. Devant and the one he calls Catherine.' "'Great heavens! And you let them in?' "'They found the key and came in.' Thornley muttered something inaudibly. "'They wanted to see your pictures.' They saw everything, and me. 
Again the misery spread over the vivid face. Thornley was unable to take his eyes from that pitiful gaze, but for a moment his own position in this play held part. "'What did they say?' he asked at length. "'Mr. Devant said nothing. I cannot remember what she said, but whatever it was, it made me know that she thinks me—oh, what can I say? Something too awful to bear. And you—you knew what women like her might think. That is why you made me promise not to tell. That is why you kept the door locked. You knew how the people like her would scorn me. And yet you would not save me. Oh, I know it was because of your pictures. You would let folks like her think what they wanted to, so long as you got what you wanted. The brief confidence in him was gone. There was a power in this fury that shook Thornley as he listened. The blazing face of outraged womanhood confronted him, and the accusation brought truth and torment with it. Get what I wanted, he groped blindly in his soul for an honest answer as to what he had wanted. Yes, what you wanted. You wanted my face because it is beautiful, because I was like this place, the hills and dunes. You thought me like them, just a thing to put upon your canvas to make you rich and famous. But I am a girl, like that girl up at Bluff Head. I am as good as she. My God! Thornley looked at the bowed head that sank again beneath the waves of passion. His eyes grew dim and his face paled. His soul had answered and had passed judgment that gave him grace to breathe freely. Janet, he said gently, my poor girl. I am going to wait by the door until you get out of the net and into your shoes. Then come to me. I have much, much to say to you. He did not offer, by thought or motion, to assist her. He turned and sat guard by the open door, puffing vigorously at his pipe. Janet disentangled herself and put on her stockings and shoes. Then, shod and with a strange dignity, she crossed the room and stood beside the man, leaning against the jamb of the door for support. Thornley looked up and smiled. Then he shook the ashes from his pipe, placed it in his pocket, and offered Janet his stool. She shook her head. "'I'll sit on the sand,' she said, and sank down outside the door. "'My poor Janet,' Thornley began, "'I do not know what to say. I want to make you understand, and I am afraid I may make further mistakes.' I see I have wronged you. In a sense, I've been a bungling fool. But as true as God hears me, I didn't want you upon my canvas for any low or mean reason. I swear that as truly as I ever spoke. It seemed my right to make live what I saw in you. Maybe it was not my right. I begin to fear it was not. But it seemed so at first. I don't know how to say it, but somewhere I have read a thought like this. When an artist enters his studio, he hangs up his passions with his coat and hat. 
you won't understand that. No woman can, perhaps, and not many men. But it's true, as surely as heaven hears me, and it accounts for a deal of good as well as bad. That is the way I felt. I was greedy to catch you as I saw you. I wanted no one to share the triumph. I never thought of women like Catherine or men like Mr. Devant. I did think of the Quinton folks, and that is the only reason I locked the door. Please try and believe that, my dear girl. If I had one unselfish thought, it was for you and for your people, not for the others like those at Bluff Head. I could have told them all about it when my pictures were hung at the Academy, and that would have ended it. The girl upon the sands sat with hands clasped around her knees. Her dark, clear eyes never wavered from the speaker's face, and Thornley saw trust and a growing calm rising in them again. "'If I had gone far enough in thought,' he continued, "'I might have hoped that such beauty and power as you have would have made you great and strong enough in nature to want to help make these pictures, in spite of everything. I believe in a slow, dull way I did think that about you once in a while. I know I never meant to harm the woman in you, Janet. Believe me, I swear that. His eyes met hers and never faltered. The girl drew a long breath. Then she shivered slightly and sighed again. I, I think I see a little what you mean, she quivered. You thought I was better than I am, higher, nobler than some folks, because I am so, so beautiful? Not a shadow of common vanity rang through the words. You thought I would be glad to help in your pictures, and never care what others might think, others who cannot understand? You are a great artist, and you thought me an artist, but in a different way. Oh, it comes to me just as Davy's light comes of an early morning, when the fog lifts. What a mean, wretched thing I have been to let stings hurt when that splendid picture waits for me. A radiance spread over the wistful face. Thornley was dazzled and could only stare helplessly. See, she had arisen and stood before him in all her strong, young beauty, you need me? Without me you cannot make your splendid picture? Thornley shook his head. It is not the money you want, nor just the fame, but you want to give the world a great joy. Yes, yes, as God is my witness, Janet, that is my desire. Then I will help. Oh, forgive me. Come, please, come. Only... Here she smiled pitifully. Please leave the door open. It shall never matter again. Nothing can change things now. Thornley staggered to his feet and half extended his hand to draw the girl in. Then something stayed him. I cannot paint today, Janet, he whispered. Something has changed. Perhaps the old longing will return but I must not trust myself until I know. 
Go, little Pimpernel. You are the greater artist of us two. I'm very sorry the day is spoiled, she returned brokenly. If I had only known more, it would have been different. It seems as if I cannot ever forgive myself. She turned and went sadly over the hills with never a backward look, and Thornley gazed after her with yearning eyes. She was taking with her, what, inspiration? Yes, but something deeper and more vital was passing with that vanishing form. What was it? What had occurred to change the summer sunlight to drearest gray? End of chapter 6 Recording by Roger Moline